You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Gail Carragher. She's the author of Soulless, and her new novel is Changeless. Thank you for joining me, Gail. Thank you for having me. Gail, these novels have a very interesting setting, and I'd like you to tell me how you created this setting and why you chose this setting. Well, I had an idea to write an urban fantasy that has a sort of steampunk element to it, and that naturally stuck me in the Victorian era. But that, in part, stemmed from this idea that if there are immortal creatures running around, they probably have been mucking around in history for many, many centuries. And so uh, I kind of wanted to take a look back at the past and rewrite the bits of it that were really unusually peculiar and make them the result of having immortals running around. So, And the most bizarre time period to me is the British Empire. It just makes no sense why one little island with terribly bad cuisine would suddenly take over the world. And so I decided that that was because they accepted vampires and werewolves and the other European countries didn't. And so they had an advantage that allowed them to conquer an empire. Talk uh, about uh, the kind of uh, research that led you to make that choice and the research that followed afterwards to create such an, you know, uh, a really gritty and uh, realistic, immersive, I guess is the word I'm looking for, setting. Um, well, I'm seated in the Victorian era as a person. I've always loved costume dramas. Um, I'm involved in the Dickens Christmas Fair here in San Francisco. And I just love that time period. It's a real passion of mine. I love the literature of that time period. I've done a lot of reading into early Gothic literature because it is the origin of science fiction and fantasy as well as Westerns and romances. So I kind of wanted to know um, the root of the field that I work in and that I love so much. And so I was already sort of vested in the literature from that time. And then the culture, especially to the extent of the clothing and the aesthetic. And so for me, uh, the the initial research prospect was mostly the technology. I wasn't as familiar with the medical technology of the day and the actual sort of working steam technology that I then was going to need to use in the novels once I started to write them. So that was where I first did my research and that's still where I end up doing a lot of my research um, because it's just not my uh, particular forte. Well one of the things I I love about your setup is that it it has, though you describe it as urban fantasy, I think it has a really grounded science fiction feel, so there's a kind of logic behind it. So talk about using that logic, the, the, you know, the, a logical premise to create an entertaining fiction. It's an internal consistency thing for me because I am coming out of, uh, at this from a, a reader. I, I'm a f- sci-fi reader. That's one of my, my preferred subgenre of sci-fi fantasy is, is hard science fiction, although I don't write it. Um, And so it was really important to me to ensure that the rules of science worked in my world. And uh, it's kind of one of the conceits of the series that my sort of unilateral decision was that the science of the day was the reality that these characters were living in. So if you look back at um, what the Victorians thought they knew with our own modern thought patterns, we, we know now that they're incorrect. But within my universe, it's correct. So the ether atmosphere zone really exists in my world. And things like the counterbalance theorem and a lot of the theories that the science scientists were postulating at the time are actually real. 
Um, and so I just have to stay true to that. Uh, and so long as I do that, then it does have a science fiction element because of it. Well, one of the, the main appeals of, of your work is, you know, you, you have a really strong uh, heroine character. Talk about creating this character and, and getting us, immersing us in her voice and especially in her vision because she comes from a very different time period. So her social mores and everything that she has is uh, you know, almost as alien to us as a space culture would be. <laughs> yeah, in a way, that's definitely true. And I think I apply the same rules as I do the technology, where I want Alexia to be consistent with her world. So she certainly has some modern aspects, but I make those modern aspects, like her independence and her very pragmatic and practical approach to things, a symptom of her condition as a soulless person and uh, sort of the result of the science that's going on that I've in, that I've invented and imposed on this world. So Alexia's inconsistencies as a historical figure are the result of the science that I'm imposing on. And then her, the rest of her character is consistent with being a sort of slightly snobbish, upper-crust British woman. And she's modeled off of an actual historical character named Amelia B. Edwards, who traveled uh, alone or with companions up the Nile um, right around this time period, around 1860. And so, uh, and she, and there is a, there is this person existed in Victorian times. We forget that there was this independent, usually widowed, slightly older female who was pretty kick-ass and who would go off and explore Egypt or India on her own, pretty much. And, and they really did exist. Um, and so Alexia is sort of modeled off of that kind of personality prototype. But she is, she definitely has, she's, she's certainly a snob. She has prejudices that are all very, very Victorian. Talk about creating, you know, these novels are, are, are really interesting because they have a, a sense of fun in them behind all the kind of, you know, the terror and the scares and this kind of great technology. Talk about creating that sense of fun for the reader while maintaining the serious sensibility that you need to make the world work within the reader's mind. Well, I think the serious part is the easy part, actually. Uh, I think it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done to write comedy. Um, and I, th these books are essentially comedies of manners. They're spoofs on Victorian literature at their heart. Um, and I actually have a post-it note next to my computer that says, Gail, don't lose the funny, because I have to keep reminding myself that humor is an integral part of my world. Um, it does give me certain advantages. I can afford to ignore some of the rules that other authors, particularly in the urban fantasy genre, um, obey, like killing your darlings. Because I do write comedic, I don't have to kill my favorite characters off, um, although I might, but I don't have to. So there, there are advantages to writing comedy, um, but it is very, very difficult. But I, that's what I wanted to read at its heart. I want to read something that entertains and cheers me up and leaves me smiling as much as possible. And so that's what I wrote. One of the things that interested me is you talked about the rules. Now, we hear about the rules in science fiction in terms of setting up a technologically consistent world. And then there, on the other hand, in urban fantasy and supernatural fiction, we hear about the rules of how the monsters work, you know, that you bite, you're bitten by a vampire. If you survive, you turn into a vampire or, or whatever, however that is set up by each individual author. And, and authors like to make their stamp. What interested me is that you've kind of combined the two um, in, in a really unique way that, that I think allows, gives your world some a little bit more heft and allows you to have a little bit more fun. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I mean, I certainly have my rules in place, the rules of how my, the universe works, um, and I try to obey them. I think you have to be as consistent as possible. And I'm sort of very organized and meticulous in my approach to things, so I have volumes of books with all of my rules laid out and to make sure that I have checks and balances in place. Um, and usually uh, people will spot a chronological or a flaw in one of my books, and it's actually a clue as to how those rules are really working. One of the uh, arcs of the world is that Alexia herself doesn't quite know how she functions in it and why she is what she is and how she became a preternatural. And so she is constantly trying to figure out her own uh, scientific makeup and so is the reader and so are the books so one of the arcs that's going through these books is Alexia herself trying to figure out what's going on so I know all of the rules that in place that are in place but the readers don't necessarily know them and that's you know the advantage of being a writer is that there's a mystery in a sense to these clues you can drop about your universe you don't have to explain it all and present it all up front I don't think well, one of the things that makes your books really compelling, too, are the way you have these different arcs. And I'm wondering how far ahead you planned. I mean, will will we see Alexia in the 1960s uh, with uh, Jacqueline Kennedy? <laughs> no, no. Alexia's going to have a mortal life, unfortunately. And that is, of course, one of the problems she's going to face in her relationship. Because um, this is another thing that's always sort of concerned me a little bit about the uh, vampire genre in particular is that you are dealing with very large age gaps between usually the romantic interest and the vampire and you are dealing with uh, one half of a pairing that is going to age and the other half that isn't and so that is kind of a more serious matter that Alexia and her um, her lovely husband may or may not have to deal with um, we'll see if I can make it funny or not <laughs> uh, talk about uh, you know creating a uh Pro, humor at a prose level and how how much of these books is done in a spreadsheet database and how much is done in as as you flows from the tip of your pen I work from a pretty clear outline almost always so I have a very good idea of where the book's going to go um, sometimes to the point where certain events have to occur on certain page numbers because I'm very concerned with pacing um, I like to make sure that I'm, I'm dialogue heavy. I love writing dialogue, particularly between characters that really have chemistry with each other. But I realize that that sometimes will slow my action down. So I usually have some kind of pacing structure in place to make sure that, um, that events occur and that incidents occur that will move the story along. So I have a pretty strict outline. It may or may not come from my academic background. That's how I used to write um, archaeology papers as well. So, uh, and I'm, I've totally missed the other half of this question. <laughs> Pacing, outline. Oh. Um, and so I, I just bang out the sort of filler bits within the outline when I'm writing the actual story. And sometimes it'll get hijacked. Um, I have particular characters that'll hijack scenes all the time, and usually they know what's going on better than I do, and so I'll let them run with it for a while. Um, often that means that later on something's going to come up integral to the plot, that there was a reason they were hijacking that scene. So it's my subconscious telling me to do, <laughs> to do that. Your dialogue is really fun. Uh, i got to ask, are you, uh, are you an eavesdropper? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I have one particular friend, and she won't mind me telling you this, I'm not going to say her name, who is absolutely hilarious when she's drunk and on more than one occasion Victorian adaptations of things she has said have come out of Ivy's mouth we'll just put it that way um, Ivy who is a particularly heavy comic relief character um, 
so yeah so ivy's based on some one of my friends drunk <laughs> and i will absolutely i'll dib thing I, I hang out with a lot of writers and i will dib things when they come up in conversation if someone some says something really funny i'll be like can i have that <laughs> can i steal that um i've also found whether this is a good thing or a bad thing that it's made me sort of very interested in humor and how it works so when someone says something some funny or i see a movie that's particularly funny i'll laugh and then i'll immediately step back and kind of try and figure out why that was funny i'll, I'll ask myself what why did i laugh there what's going on is that something i can use so it's made me very analytical about humor <laughs> um but it's it helps it, you have to start thinking about i think about everything when I'm writing as from a kind of practical perspective and so humor is part of that for me now so I kind of analyze humorous and, and tell us how we have uh, soulless and, and changeless how far um, in advance have you uh, plotted these books out and what's next and when well I have a trilogy that it's coming out through Orbit, or it, they have the th first three books, I should say. That's not necessarily a cohesive fantasy trilogy in the, the sense of the word that most um, SFNF fans are used to. And I actually wrote the first book as a standalone. So after it sold, I had to go back in and rework it and put in a thread, some threads to tie it in to make it more of a series. Um, and the second and the third books are intimately tied to each other. So they kind of have a little mini arc. So that's pretty much how it's set out. Do you have any other worlds that you're looking at? Well, I really enjoy this one, um, and I think I, I would love to explore it further, either earlier on in history or perhaps later on in history. There are little characters that are mentioned, like Alexia's father, that I'd love to kind of give at least their own book at some point. And I have certainly other worlds and other ideas. Um, so th there are many possibilities, but right now I'm pretty settled into this one, at least for the time being. I've been speaking with Gail Carragher. Her first book is Soulless. Her new book is Changeless. Thank you for joining me, Gail. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.